0: Hi everyone! Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host Bill DeFilippo, and uh, we have a special guest this week. We are not going to be doing our normal big preview for Penn State's game this week against Northwestern. Instead, we decided to go out get one of our friends uh, to join us for this episode of the pod. We got my buddy Ben Gorin, formerly of the website Inside and You, now. Uh, I would say currently a person who has very strong opinions about northwestern <laughs> football. Is that is that correct Ben? Yeah,
1: Substack freak works too. Um yeah, just like guy who spends his time mad about what's happening in Evanston, whatever works Bill. It, well, listen.
0: Ben does Ben is better at like conveying thoughts that are mad in a clear and concise <laughs> and like Anyway, like a way that you could tell he's upset, but it's coming from a place of like I care deeply about mm. this thing, which is why I, part a reason I wanted to have you on. This episode of the pod, so you can give us a sense of what's going on with uh, the one and three Northwestern Wildcats. Northwestern started this season uh, with a win over Nebraska in Ireland, since has played Duke, Southern Illinois, and Miami of Ohio. Uh, don't need to talk about how those went, although we will talk about how those went. The <laughs> Wildcats, 98th in SP, 111th offensively, 75th defensively, 123rd on special teams. So,
1: Ben, now that that's all out of the way, how you doing? Uh, Well, you know, other than football, it's okay. <laughs> but the fact that I have to expose myself to this every Saturday is, uh, it's taking its toll, Bill. I, w- I won't lie to you. It's ruined three consecutive weekends for me, which is just like the worst place to be as a fan. Just like, oh, these 19 yes. year old strangers have affected my mental health. Like, exactly. that's, that's cool. That's how you know things are really going good.
0: Well, fortunately you have your NFL team, the Chicago Bears, mm. which, uh, are they have an Ohio state quarterback, uh, yep. a very good one. Yeah. Um, I, ha- I haven't watched a single snap. In- I don't think it's Justin Fields fault. <laughs> uh, and then it's serious news. The Sixers had a good off season. Yeah. So. But,
1: all, but they brought <laughs> PJ Tucker in and I have to like, <laughs> usually my least favorite play. Even when things go well, Bill, they're going badly. That's my existence <laughs> as a fan.
0: Well, let, let's talk about Northwestern football because it was the thing that you and I talked about for a second before we came on the pod, Ben. It's that Northwestern has this nasty habit of like, it'll have a bad year or two. And then off of that second bad year, they'll start to build towards something. And you'll see a team that wins six, six games, but like it's because they're cross schedule, cross conference schedules a little tougher. They win seven games, you know, pull off an upset over a Penn state, a Michigan state, uh, you know, Iowa, someone like that. Mm-hmm. And then they use those three years of building as a springboard towards We win the Big Ten West this year. You know, you look in their recent history, uh, 2012, they finished 17th in the country, Uh, 2015, 23rd, 2017, 17th, 2018, 21st, and then 2010, they were the number 10 team in the country. But as you and I were talking about it, it just feels like maybe as the college football arms race becomes a lot more competitive, Northwestern is starting behind the eight ball and maybe this current stretch of struggling feels a bit different than some of the past ones under
1: Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah, I totally think so. Um, And, you know, the truth of like light of existence as one of college football's have nots is that if things are going good and they start going 5% worse, like it's really, it's really bad. Like that's the margin that Northwestern was always on. And even in those years where they would win 10 games and, you know, earn the right to get their teeth kicked in by Ohio State in the Big Ten championship. There is always something like vaguely fraudulent about it. Like you know, they won every single one possession game for you know three consecutive years. Just stuff where it's like, wow, I guess Northwestern is just a really bunch of well coached guys. You can kind of finagle their way in here, um, and once things get just that marginal amount worse, it starts to feel really bleak. Um, mm-hmm. and there's stuff that Northwestern is doing now that it wasn't doing in twenty eighteen. You know, like procedural penalties on special teams and like a bunch of penalties and they're really loose with the ball now. It seems like every skill position player has a fumbling problem, uh, which doesn't feel like a Pat Fitzgerald team anymore. Mm-hmm. Um and if Northwestern's not that, if they're not just gonna be perfectly executing and maximizing whatever skill they have out, uh it's a team that loses nine games. Uh, and they did it last year. Uh, and it certainly feels like three and nine would at this point almost be a success uh, where they have put themselves so far behind the eight ball right now. Uh, and I think that starts with the defensive coordinator leading town. Uh, I think Mike Hankwitz packing up and going on to that defensive coordinator box in the sky um, is really, really laid a lot bare uh, and Northwestern just hasn't been able to fix it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, Pat Fitzgerald and how his teams have a very specific—they um, have a very specific thing about them. Like they are going to be a more well-disciplined team than you. They're going to be a team that the first guy is going to tackle you, take you down. They're not going to be these little dumb penalties. Yes, they're going to run for exactly four yards per carry. They're going to throw for exactly five yards per attempt. But four plus four plus four is a first down. Five plus five plus five is a first down. And just in watching them this year. They played a Nebraska team that was – go. I-, I think we can say they were going through it. Um, and then they played these last couple of games, and like I don't think any person can look them in the eyes and say that Northwestern is at a talent disadvantage against Southern Illinois or Miami of Ohio. Right. But it just feels like this is a team that those fundamentals, those basic things that you expect out of a Pat Fitzgerald football team just aren't there
1: right now. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, when we really get into it, I, I think there are position groups in Northwestern uh, who were even outclassed against their matchup against SIU. Like there are some, there are mm. some real talent deficits here, um, but it's not enough to lose those three games. It's not enough to lose to Blaine Gabbard's little brother's backup who threw for 60 yards. As, that was Miami. Um, like that shouldn't be happening. <sighs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a team that looks discombobulated a lot of the time on both sides of the ball. Uh, and the one game that they won was the one program who is permanently completely discombobulated. Um, and now they've gotten rid of Scott Frost and hopefully things get better down there or not. It'd be great if they stayed this bad. Um, but it's, you know, the Nebraska game that they won, there were these big busts like Donnie Navarro, who's an Illinois transfer who caught like 10 balls last year, like had two touchdown catches and like 100 yards. And, you know, he was getting 60 yard plays on busted coverages. And it was like, oh, that's cool. Um, And then all of a sudden that just stopped happening. You know, guys are running in the wrong places on defense, on offense, just getting these penalties that on an offense that really can't sustain it. Um, Ryan Halinski throwing progressively more confusing interceptions. Uh, And yeah, it's just a team that if you, you have to be, have a crazy talent advantage to win games playing like Northwestern's playing right now. And Northwestern Mm -hmm. is never going to have a crazy talent advantage, even against these um, kind of podunk teams that they've been playing. Yeah, I'm, I'm now looking at the, uh, at the teams, like just the
0: stat breakdown for the game against Nebraska. I didn't realize Northwestern committed eight penalties yeah. for 65 yards compared to one for five yards for Nebraska. And if there's like one of the things that has defined, that defined kind of the Scott Frost era of Nebraska football. It was just like a complete and utter lack of discipline all over the place. Like it, it, to what do you um, to what do you attribute? I know you mentioned a uh, part of it was the defensive coordinator, mm. but to what do you kind of de- contribute the fact that um, the the fact that we're seeing Northwestern make mistakes, have lapses, and not necessarily be the team that we expect them to be. In those years where things are humming, and again, Pat Fitzgerald is able to, you know, uh, gin up nine wins right. out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think there, there's probably a sober way to look at it and a little bit more fatalistic way to look at it. Uh, okay. I don't think that Northwestern has the horses that it used to. Um, and like the 2020 team, which is really good, um, that was Patty Fisher's team and Peyton Ramsey's team. Peyton Ramsey, longtime starting quarterback in Indiana, had a noodle arm, but really knew what he was doing and was you know, a pretty good field marshal. Patty Fisher, if you want to like, really expose the difference between the NFL and college, look up his 40 time and how many accolades he pulled in college. Um, but he was just a great leader, a guy who put his guys in the right position, put himself in the right position. Uh, and I'm not sure Northwestern has the guys on the field who can be that extension right now. Not to say that, you know, they're not solid dudes. I've no doubt that Bryce Gallagher is a great locker room guy. Uh, Bryce Gallagher is not a good middle linebacker. Uh, Ryan Helinski is not a good quarterback. And when you don't have those guys on the field, um, that's probably the more, like, sober way to think about what's happening. If you want to get fatalistic with it, you know, maybe Fitz is a little bit too comfortable. You know, there was, it was a guy who was talking to the Green Bay Packers a couple years ago. He's extended to 2030 right now. Uh, made a couple of coordinator hires that I think it's fair to say were a little bit confusing. Uh, Mike Pajakins pretty much nothing before he came to Northwestern. He's certainly nothing in Evanston. Jim O'Neill was like the worst defensive coordinator in the history of the NFL, um, but has some weird hookup with Pat Fitzgerald, and Pat Fitzgerald brings him in. Um, there are decisions made from an institutional level that feel a little bit like hubris, and it would make sense if an administration is making those kinds of decisions that perhaps they're a little bit more checked out. Um, perhaps they're resting on their laurels a little bit and don't have that just insane drive that I think Fitz had for a really long time.
0: I'm not sure which one is more true. Yeah. I, well, part of, you, you have to assume that part of it is Fitz is in year 17 yeah. here. He's 47 years. He's about to turn 48 years old. He has, if he wants another, two and a half decades of coaching right. in front of him. And like part part of the thing that I wonder, this is something that I like, I know you're going to mention at some point. Uh, part of what I wonder is if Fitz is the kind of guy who he's now, as he's approaching, you know, 20 years as the head coach of his alma mater, like he doesn't have to explain a single thing to a single person. He's, you know, getting beers bought for him in Evanston for the rest of his life. Yep. Uh, does he have a statue? Not yet, actually. Okay, he's probably getting a statue at some point, all these sorts of things. And I just wonder if he is looking at if he's the kind of guy who uh, looks at how college football is going, looks at uh, the contract that Mel Tucker got, the promises for money that Mel Tucker got, the promises for all the stuff that James Franklin gets, that Ryan Day consistently gets, that all these teams that he has to compete with to win games like we're not even going to talk about recruiting because right. recruiting at Northwestern is always going to be you know the uphill battle to end all uphill battles I, like part of me just wonders if he looks at all that stuff and wonders like man I don't know if like I, like I don't know I, I feel like I could just kind of coast and I can kind of glide here because again he doesn't need to prove anything to a single person what like can, can you can you just for our listeners can you talk about the kind of uphill battle that is always going to exist at Northwestern, especially in light of the news that got announced two hours
1: ago. Yeah. So Northwestern, in terms of all of the glittery stuff on the sides, Pat Fitzgerald has everything he could possibly want. He has a Mm -hmm. couple hundred million dollar practice facility that is about 50 feet from the shores of Lake Michigan on Northwestern's campus. It's gorgeous. It's unbelievable. And that was part of the deal when Michigan was flirting with him um, back around that 2010 era, I think. Um, there was like pretty serious interest from Michigan, and he parlayed it into a host of support from the institution. Um, now, uh, if you weren't on Twitter on Wednesday evening or you don't have Northwestern people on your timeline, there's an $800 million football. Stadium that is apparently going to get built sometime before 2026, 2027 for Northwestern. Um, Currently, Ryan Field is a dump. Uh, Apparently, it's going to become SoFi Stadium, but a quarter of the size. So there's a lot of that stuff on the margins that is done. Um, And Pat Fitzgerald's contract, it's a private school, so you're never going to know the exact terms, the exact length, but it's something like through 2030. Uh, which was an extension I think he signed around the 2020 season. So he's basically got a four-life contract. He's set as much as anyone can possibly be set. Um, But the stuff that, like, actually matters in terms of institutional support for winning football games, Northwestern doesn't have that. Um, I don't know if Fitz wants them to have that, um, but it is certainly true That there is no program in the country that has like tougher academic restrictions for its athletes than Northwestern. Um, Mm -hmm. There's other stuff that's like tricky in terms of how they get athletes to come in, whether it's from high school or from the portal, um, that Northwestern has to deal with. And those shackles are going to be there seemingly in perpetuity. Northwestern doesn't have a booster base. It's basically just Pat Ryan. It was his gift that let them build this $800 million football stadium that they're apparently going to make. Um, So there isn't that drumbeat that you get at a actual big 10 school of, Hey, this is embarrassing. We're losing a lot. What if we got some good high school players to come play for us? Um, That's not a thing at Northwestern. The people who give the money to make Northwestern go are totally cool with Northwestern going three and nine as long as they do it the right way. Um, Which, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's lame, maybe it's boring, but that's how it works here in Evanston. Um, And realistically, if Northwestern wants to fix what's happening, that's what's got to change. And I'm not sure how that changes. Um, And for sure Fitz is one of those guys who like believes in the old fashioned things about college sports. Like, I think it really matters to him that his players graduate, like really matters to him that they have this like student experience, which sounds ridiculous, like anywhere outside of Evanston. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think like that actually does matter to Fitz. And I think it comes from a decent place, um, which is a larger discussion for a different time. Um, But Northwestern's just going to battle that. They're going to be this extremely archaic program in terms of the actual skeletal structure of it. Um, and because of that, these seasons are gonna be more and more common uh as the rest of the Big Ten, you know, grows up. Yeah. I mean, Penn State's the success with honor school. It's the Paterno Grand Experiment
0: School. Like it's something that we very much empathize with, but also Paterno was doing that in an era before what you know, people are not going to like that. I'm saying this. College football is a professional sports. World. Right right now for all intents and purposes. It, it has been a professional sports week for a long yeah. time. And it's fascinating um, watching the true believers in that navigate this. It's not a long list of guys. Fitz is number one yeah. on it. But while you, while you were talking, something I meant to do before the pod, I went and I looked at Northwestern's recruiting class rankings dating back to 2017, so the last six years. You know, if they have a, a redshirt freshman, a redshirt senior or double redshirt senior on the roster – this is going to be go back to them, but 2022 they were the number 54 class of the country. 2021 they were 52nd. Going back from there, 45th, 54th, 58th, 50th. Uh, I'm not going to pull this up because my assumption here is that that's just the worst in the Big Ten. Uh, and every once in a while they will hit on, you know, a guy like a Clayton Thorson, a guy like a Justin Jackson. We're uh, both in the same class. Guy,
1: so yeah, a guy like a... that when we were talking earlier about how, like, there are years where Northwestern pops, it's that classic, like, lower to middle tier team where you build it four years at a time. And if you mm-hmm. hit on a rich class, that team is really freaking good. And that was that 2014 yes. class that had Thorson, had Jackson, had Garrett Dickerson, who's a huge recruit and a great player. Um, the best recruit in that class was Parker Westlaw, who was a safety whose hips, like, fell apart. Um, mm. but that built into what happened in 2018 and, um, recruiting just straight up flat right now, um, for yeah. all of the fancy new things that they have, it's really not making a difference. They just hired their NIL guy like two weeks ago. That's someone who they should have hired about two years ago. Um, and you know, what are you going to do? You're not going to get a kid who you know, wants to get compensated what he deserves. Um, if you don't have that structure and Northwestern just straight up doesn't have that structure.
0: Right. And the one blue, like, elite guy Northwestern has recruited over the last couple of years, uh, unsurprisingly, Peter Skoronsky, who is a freak of nature. We will talk about him in one second. But first, I got to thank the sponsor of this podcast, uh, Ben. You ever hear of this
1: home field apparel? Once or twice, man. I think it's only about 30% of my closet right now. So,
0: yes. Well, if I that that should probably just be the entire ad read right there <laughs> because I like nothing I say is going to do better. But of course, Homefield Apparel, sponsor of our podcast. If you're a college sports fan like myself and Ben, uh, you know what they are. If you don't know what they are, they are a premium apparel brand based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. They're from the heart of Big Ten country. Uh, They are uh, going to be going through their own existential crisis, my guess, sooner (laughs) rather than later about the state of their football program. Neither here nor there. We love them nonetheless. Their shirts are comfortable. They're unique. The designs are awesome. They make you feel a little bit closer to your school, like, Ben mentioned 30% of his closet. I probably have 10, 15 things from Home Field Apparel. Over the weekend, after my paycheck hit this weekend, I purchased something from Home Field Apparel because I've just wanted another thing from them because it's been a minute since I've gotten
1: (laughs) something from them.
0: Uh, Penn State has its own line of merch from Home Field Apparel. 15 pieces of apparel in all in the Penn State line, but there is so much more than just Penn State that you can get. If you are a new customer, head on over there. Use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, to get 15% off of your first order. Again, promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. Thank you to Home Field Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. Let's get back to talking about Northwestern. Instead of talking about the big picture stuff, let's talk about this Northwestern football team. And we'll start by talking, Ben, about them on the offensive side of the football. And my note here is essentially that they have Peter Skoronsky who is a freak of nature on the offensive line. And then other than that, it's, uh, you know, you're basically hoping for stuff to work out. Is that a fair way of putting it? So
1: would it surprise you to hear that Northwestern has the leader in all of uh, Division I football and scrimmage yards on its offense? Is that Hohenski? That's Ryan. Uh, that's Evan Hall. It's their running back. Interesting. Look I at mean, receiving yards against dude? Um, Jesus. So, like, he's a true, like, No one would have any reason to think of Evan Hull as one of the best players in the Big Ten, but he's really, really solid. Um, Mm -hmm. He's a great running back. He can be a home run hitter. Now he's like playing out of the backfield, which is cool. Um, Their second running back, Cam Porter, kind of got Wally-pipped by Evan Hull last year. He was supposed to be the starter, blew out his knee um, in the fall or in the spring. Um, Evan Hull ended up being the starter, had a great year last year in another terrible season for Northwestern. Um, so you have Skironsky, who will be like top 10 pick or whatever. Um, you have Evan Hall and you have Cam Porter and that truly is it. Um, and yeah. also they're having an easier time throwing than running it this year, which is bizarre. Um, it, that shouldn't be true. The running backs are, I think like that two headed monster in the backfield would be a great running back tandem at just about any school in the big 10 like, I'm not sure there would be any room other than maybe Michigan and Ohio state who wouldn't be improved by having those two running backs, like heading up what they're doing. Um, But there's just not enough there. Um, You know, your left tackle being the best player on the team doesn't always, or probably pretty rarely means that your offense is going to be chugging. Um, The rest of the offensive line isn't opening up holes. There's not enough creative stuff being done uh, in terms of motion to create a numbers advantage in the run game. Uh, And the quarterback position is terrible. So because of that, the offense is pretty much a DOA. Uh, but it's not to say that, you know, Evan Hall can't pop off an 80-yard touchdown run on Saturday. Wouldn't surprise me at all.
0: Yeah, team's quarterback is Ryan Holinski, formerly of South Carolina. I actually uh, did want to make it a point to mention that the one, the fact that they are that good on the uh, running the football, when they are able to get going on the ground, and we saw this in the Nebraska game, Hall and Porter just bowled over dudes yeah. in that game. Both of them do have, you know, your concern with them is turnovers. It yep. is fumbling the football. It's one thing that I've noticed watching Northwestern. Uh, they're not always great at protecting uh, protecting the football. Northwestern uh, seven, uh, no, give me a second. How many is that? Uh, ah, yes, They have lost seven fumbles on the year, which is the okay. most in college football yeah. tied with Illinois. Temple and Stanford, but like, I think you kind of get to a really good point of, you know, if you want to map out what the path for Northwestern winning against Penn state is, it is basically, you don't do what they've had to do. The first couple of games, which is fall behind and make Ryan Holinsky throw. If Hall and Porter can grind out four or five, six yards on the ground, which with the offensive line in front of them, not guaranteed. There's like actually a path for this offense to be effective here. For sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they're able to do it against a very bad Nebraska team. Um, so yeah, if, if it's going to happen, that, that'll that be how it happens. Um, but, you know, Northwestern running the ball this year has been really bad. Like, I stand by that Hull and Porter are great. But there's something like 110th in run efficiency. I mean, it's been really bleak. Um, and it's just because there's nowhere to run. Um, and in terms of the ball security problems, you know, Northwestern was getting its teeth kicked in by Duke and cut it to eight, driving the ball with less than a minute left to play. Evan Hole takes it down to the one yard line, fumbles it into the end zone, Northwestern loses. Last week, Malik Washington, who's the best receiver on the team, fumbled it twice, and Northwestern loses to Miami. Um, it is a weird problem, and it's one of those very non-fits-like team problems that seems to be uh, spreading <laughs> in Evanston. But yeah, if, if Northwestern scores points in this game, it's because they ran the ball well enough to make it easy on the quarterback.
0: Yeah, and uh, Bill Cottae has pointed out that uh r- efficiency in its in run defense has been an issue for Penn State. They're somewhere in the 90s nationally on that. I do want to ask, uh just for posterity's sake, about the passing game. Do you think there's really much of a path for them to uh God, not even against Penn State, do much of anything over the course of an entire
1: football season. So they've got a couple of tight ends who are okay. Um they've got a transfer Gordon. Um <laughs> they're a big 10 West team. They better have Yeah, you guys. would hope. Um they've got this kid Lang, he's pretty good too. Um but Holinski can't throw outside the hashes. He's okay over the middle, like and can throw some deep middle passes. But if you make him throw it to a guy on the outside, um, it's more likely to go into Northwestern's own end zone than Penn State's. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, Penn State actually has, you know, athletes at corner and in the back end of their their secondary. So, yeah, I mean, I'd take my chances one-on-one all day. It's not like the wide receivers are that good. And even if they are open, I'm not sure it's a given that Halinski hits them. Um, there's, there's truly nothing to be afraid of. Um, Holinski, like when you watch the beginning of the game, it would not surprise me if you hear the announcers talk about how Holinski has a big arm. Uh, and then you will watch him throw a ball outside the hashes, and you will be as confused as me as to why that's his rep. Uh, he just doesn't have a big, 10 quality arm. Um, and it's exposed when he has to go outside.
0: My so, my hunch on this game, and this is a story that I have told uh before in this podcast, was last year I went to Penn State's game against Rutgers, I had my seat, my, my. I will call them lovely all 22 (laughs) seats, overlooking the entire stadium behind one of the end zones. And Penn State in that game put eight or nine guys in the box on every play, put their cornerbacks on islands against Rutgers wide receivers, and said, We know the one thing that you can do is run the football. We are not, we are going to try and stop you from doing that. You are not, if you want to try and throw it on us, perfectly fine. Go ahead and throw it and see what happens. And Rutgers saw that, and their entire game plan was basically, yeah, we don't care. We're just going to run the yeah. ball anyway. They threw it 23 times with their starting quarterback. They ran it 32 times. My hunch is that we're going to see something similar this week because, like you mentioned, like the, I, I do like Northwestern's running backs. I do think if you can basically get Skaronsky throwing dudes around, you have an area where you can run, and you know, Holinski has put up numbers once or twice, and not even once or twice this season. Against Nebraska, 314 yards on how many against attempts? Duke. 38. Yeah. Against Duke, 435 on 60 attempts.
1: So, He's averaging about 6.5 yards per attempt. So that's the big uh, one is that yeah. like Northwestern perhaps has been too willing to cave to the pressure to pass. So mm. when teams do load up. Mike Bajekian totally fine to start throwing passes. The issue is you're not actually going to throw it over the top because you don't have anyone to get over the top, and Holinsky can't really hit him when you get there. So yeah. I, I do think that the right thing for Penn State to do is to load the box. Um, and I think the response will be dink and dunk down the field from Northwestern that doesn't work.
0: Yes, an interesting thing here. Northwestern is seventh nationally in passing attempts. They are sixth nationally in passing attempts per game. They are tied for third nationally in completion, uh, in completions, not um, completion percentage. And they are 100th in passer efficiency uh, or passer rating. So they're they're very willing to throw the football. Yeah, a lot of it's game
1: goal. flow, but they are certainly, I mean, there were times in the SIU game, which it's so silly to have to break down tactically what happened against an FCS team. Um, mm-hmm. But for the first quarter of that game, it looked like Northwestern could just run a power run for six yards and go score a touchdown. They could do that every single time, um, and they just like got bored with it and started throwing it, and then everything stopped working. Um, mm. So it's it's a weird hiccup that they're so willing to get into this. You know, it's not air raidy. It's not even West Coast. It's just like throwing a bunch of short passes and passes behind the line of scrimmage when you know you have. A supposed to be good offensive line and two really good running backs, so it's been a frustration, I think.
0: And then moving on to the other side of the football, it's the it, it, it's the thing that you expect Northwestern to be good at through hell and high water, right? You expect Pat Fitzgerald to have a good defense, but so far this season, that hasn't necessarily been the case. Against Nebraska, allowed twenty eight points. Against Duke, thirty one. Against Southern Illinois. 31 against Miami of Ohio. Yeah, they allowed only 17 points and 217 yards, but like you should do that Mm -hmm. against Miami of Ohio. So what's been going on with this Northwestern team? I know this Northwestern defense. I know you mentioned a little bit earlier that in Jim O'Neill, they have a
1: new defensive coordinator or a second year. Yep. Second year defensive coordinator. So we can start there. Um, And I think like the really fatalistic read on the last couple of years of Northwestern football is that maybe when we look back on 2010 to 2020, when it's 2028, we'll realize that Mike Hankwitz is actually the coach of Northwestern, and Pat derald was drafting off of maybe the best defensive coordinator, Evanston, or maybe the conference is like ever seen. Um, the way that that team maximized what it had year after year of just strangling, don't bend but don't break defense was incredible. Um, it was on the margins, like I said earlier, and now with Jim O'Neill, the attention to detail isn't there, um, and the scheme isn't as good, and maybe that's why the defense now is mediocre to bad week in, uh-huh. week out. Um, I, I do think Jim O'Neill is a bad coach. I think his history as a coach bears that out when you look at what he did. Um, I think he was in Cleveland when they had that just horror show year on defense. That was his team. Um Cleveland Browns, like in the NFL, um, I think that he. Is yes, that. It, it, if you would like, I will now
0: go through and read uh, the NFL teams for which he was the defensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah, this will be fun. The the uh, 2014-15 Cleveland Browns, uh, the 2014 Cleveland Browns went. Let me pull this up right here. Uh, seven and nine. The 2015 Cleveland Browns went three and 13 and allowed a uh, second only to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC 432 points on the season. And then in 2016, he received the NFL's kiss of death, which was chip Kelly going, Hey, do you want to work for me? Uh, that Niners team went two and 14 and allowed an NFC.
1: Yep, And no, an NFL high four hundred and eighty points. Yeah, I mean he sucks. Like he's just he's not a good coach. Um, but my this puts me like on an island on the Northwestern sphere. I actually don't think he's the problem. Um, mm-hmm. The reason why Northwestern is really bad on defense is because they don't have very many good football players. Um, there are players who are really good. Their defensive end Eddie Barre, is is awesome. Um, I'm really impressed with Cam Mitchell, who's a corner. Coco Azuma um, should learn how to tackle without just jumping into people with his head, but he's a really fun safety. Um, but the worst position group in the Big Ten is Northwestern's linebackers, like by a lot. It's it's really, truly not close. Um, yeah, They're not fast, but at least they're small. Um, like, it's just, it's like, what if Patty Fisher were two steps slower and also wasn't like the smartest linebacker in the country? And there's like six of them. Like, they just, they can't cover anything. They can't fit right on the run game. They're too slow to even when they do do the right thing to actually get there in time. Um, It's just a disaster at the middle level of the defense. And I don't think there's a way to scheme around it. And again, what is troubling is that this is a Pat Fitzgerald team. Like, what's a Pat Fitzgerald team if the linebacker plays bad? I mean, it gets, that's Mm -hmm. a dark question. Um, Brandon Gallagher is supposed to be the guy, he's the middle linebacker on the team. Um, he's just not impressive. I mean, he's just, he's just slow, um, and doesn't tackle great. And like, how do you avoid that? Like there's, there's truly nothing to do if the middle of your defense just doesn't exist. I mean, like there's just no scheming your way out of it. Um, and that's why, you know, teams are able to choose what they want to do. For SIU, it was, hey, let's just throw it over the middle of the field, seven to 15 yards downfield every single time because there's no chance the linebackers can cover us. For Miami of Ohio, who had this really fast kind of stat back, it was, all right, let's run it to the outside because we're going to beat them to the corner every single time. Um, So Penn State gets to pick how they want to score points because the linchpin of the defense just doesn't work. And you mentioned that... Uh,
0: there are some players here that make, you know, I, I don't want to say make you think the entire thing is going to fall into place. I mean, they're like, uh, like we mentioned a little bit earlier, 17th in defensive SP plus uh, they are bottom half of the big 10 in yards allowed per game, middle of the big 10 in passing yards allowed per, ten, per game, second to last in rushing yards allowed per game, third to last, in points allowed per game. But who are the standouts on this defense? Like Who are the guys that, uh, if it's the third quarter of the game and Northwestern de- defense has held up better than people expect, you think are going to
1: be the guys who uh, make their imprint fill? So up front, it'll be Adebare, uh who's a defensive end, uh, who's good. He's an NFL player. Um, that's kind of really the only NFL player they have up front. Um, none of the linebackers are competent. Uh, And then at the back end, there are, they're really dinged up. Like a lot of guys in this time, Ozma missed time in the SIU game. Um, I think Mitchell might've been out against SIU too. AJ Hampton's been banged up. Um, Those three guys are really good. Cam Mitchell's probably the best. Ozma's probably my favorite just because he's really violent, but he's hurt. Uh, He got hurt in the Miami game and limped off and didn't put any weight on. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't play. Um, Those three guys are good. It's it's the other spots that aren't, Um, and if I were to guess, um, at least one of those three is not going to play, and if they do play, it's real possible that they're going to be banged up. So the back end, strictly due to just um, attrition, um, isn't super strong. Uh, But Adibare is the guy who can ruin some game plans for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, looking up uh, what Pat Fitzgerald said after the game. about he, he was asked uh fits on the this from a uh, place you know inside and fits on the returns of cam mitchell and coco azuma like i assess the whole team we lost it's disappointing to say the least it's just great to have the those guys back you can't put a price tag on that they're great leaders they're great players they are great men um doesn't seem like there is any indication however of when they're going to play
1: yeah, North- Oh wait, no. Northwestern's okay. just like super tight-lipped about injuries. Um, like, Ozma yeah. was back against Miami and like appeared to be somewhat seriously injured. Um, yeah, so that was the – apologies, that
0: was the context to which Fitzgerald said that quote. Right. But yes, Ozma did uh, have to get helped off of the fielder.
1: Right yeah, and I don't think Hampton's come back yet. So um, – but Northwestern is like very Harbaugh-esque in that, you know, we'll know mm-hmm. probably by like the second play of the game – whether they're, they're healthy. Um, but until then, I think it's just going to be a big old question mark.
0: So let's go into uh, – I'm going to ask you to be an optimist, and then I'm going to ask for your prediction. That's all right. And when I, when I ask you to be an optimist, the question that I have is, in your estimation, how does Northwestern, which is walking into this game as a 25-and-a-half-point underdog, uh, which Sick. ESPN's FPI – has a gives a three percent chance of winning this game. Love that. How does Northwestern win this game in, in like you know, in the serious and not like right. you know, uh, in Aston? The the yeah, right,
1: yeah, right. Um, so offensively, um, Hull gets loose twice, like they need two chunk plays in the run game, um, presumably from Hull. Uh, it'd be neat if there was a big play in the past game from Malik Washington. Uh, I don't super expect that to happen. Um, but yeah, offensively, it'll be one of those games where they score points and you look back. It's like they didn't, they weren't that good. They didn't deserve 20 points in that game. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be because of chunk plays probably a bust or two. Um, so that'll be how it gets done on one side of the ball. Uh, on the other side of the ball, the linebackers play their best game of the season um they're in the right places more often than they're not uh Mitchell is healthy gets his hand on a pass um and Adebare can kind of mess some things up in the run game uh I mean it's not going to surprise you to hear this from someone who's trying to break down Penn State from the outside but it's going to be Sean Clifford is the guy who has to win the game for Penn State and he can't do it like that's from the outside like that's probably how it's going to happen if Penn State is chugging in the run game, it's, it's just cooked. Um, I really don't see there to be any opportunity there. Um, and the way that Northwestern, I think, wants to move the ball should negate Joey Porter um, and what he can do to wreck game plans just because it, they hopefully won't throw it on the outside all that often. Um, so that's kind of the route. Um, and that is as optimistic as I can get. Like Penn State fucks up, and like Northwestern is gifted a couple of touchdowns. Um, I think even hoping for anything more than that is is not a super productive use of anyone's brain space. Because um, Washington is just cooked. I like they're just going to be outgunned um, and outcoached, um, which is not something I like to say uh, going against the James Franklin team. But behold, <laughs> it's where I am. Fitz does have Franklin's number. Like even going he, back he to does. Vanderbilt, like Fitz knows how to beat him. So I guess there's that. But you know maybe Fitz is cooked too now. So who knows?
0: Yes. Oh, God, I forgot to pull this up. So we're going to have some really good podcasting where to look up. It's <laughs> so what uh, everyone comes to, recent... the- to see is you looking down at your computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, the recent matchups in this series, Penn State won in 2017. Northwestern won the two before that. 2014, that was a 29-6 win in Happy Valley. And then, of course, the disgusting game in uh, 2015-23-21. One, which, if I remember correctly, that was the game that, uh, if I remember correctly, that was the game where like the alarm bells really went off for me about that Penn State team. Yeah. Uh, wait, yeah, because at that point, Penn State entered that game seven and two. Uh, they there were a couple games in there that weren't great. There was the lost Temple. There was a loss to Ohio State. There was a really gross win over Army. But they had managed to take care of business against Buffalo, Rutgers, San Diego State, Army, Indiana, Maryland, and Illinois, and then they ended the season with a two point loss to Northwestern. Uh, if I remember correctly, Hackenberg caught a touchdown. Back in yeah, game. I mean
1: that sounds right. Gina, that's I think like Gino Lewis through. That's like the old yeah. Northwestern, right? Like, and right. I think like the important thing for any opposing fan to recalibrate their head about watching Northwestern is that Northwestern isn't going to win games by making it you know, a triple overtime game that ends 13 to 10. Like that's, yeah. that's just not how it works anymore. They're not going to yuck up the game. If they're going to win, it's because they've like made big plays happen on either side of the ball. Right. It's just so different now. Um, like, you know, because usually if you ask me that question a couple years ago, it'd be like, yeah, you know, Northwestern scores a touchdown and wins with seven points. They have, the, they have the ball for 40 minutes. Yeah. They force three turnovers. Like they they're Penn State know, misses
0: 10 for 12 on third downs. Yeah.
1: Like, like right. that's just that just ain't it. You know, it's just not the way the team's built. It's supposed to be disruptive on either side of the ball. Um, they're just not good enough to actually do it.
0: So let's get to your prediction here. <laughs> Penn State, 25-point favorite over under of 50. To I have a feeling I know the direction in which you're going to take this, uh,
1: but where, where where are you going to go here? So if I only had one bet to give, it'd be the under. I, I really don't see 53 points in this game unless um, mm-hmm. Penn State wants to get there on their own. That'd be cool. Um, but you know, regardless of whether or not Northwestern covers, uh, Penn State will not ever be threatened in this game. Um, it would not surprise me if it was one of those like 31. 14 games where I guess like Northwestern covers and just getting their heinies handed to them the whole game. Um, but it'll be a very, very comfortable Penn state win. Um, it, you'll probably end up having some misattributed optimism about what you can do on the peripheries of defenses because the outside linebackers for Northwestern are very, very slow. So um, yeah, it, it'll be a cruise and a snooze like at the under I think is, is the right way to go here
0: it it is a 3:30 p.m. kick in Happy Valley. I don't remember who the playbot play is, but I know Dan Orlovsky is on this football game. Uh so actually, you know what? I'm actually excited that Dan Orlovsky is on this football game because this is the first game that he will do since Jimmy Garoppolo ran out of the back of an end zone on Monday yeah. Night Football. And, like, Dan Orlovsky got the greatest redemption that any human has ever had in their entire <laughs> life. so
1: Yeah, um, finally. I'm also excited that Orlovsky's on the call because he has to be unhappy and watch this game for four hours. <laughs> so that's, like, some cosmic justice, I think. I, so
0: a- after spending all this time talking to Ben, I will give my bit of a prediction, which basically is I think last week – Penn State did what Ben said Northwestern did against Southern Illinois, which was race out to a 14-0 lead. Look fantastic. Everything seems to be humming. Everything seems to be working. And then they just kind of fall asleep at the wheel a little bit. It's 14-14. They need to go out there. Score right before the half. It's 21-14. I think Franklin has said some stuff this week about wanting to fold in younger guys, get them reps, get Drew Aller, or some reps at quarterback, that sort of thing. But I think he just has a little bit too much respect for Pat Fitzgerald to just say like, "All right, uh, we're going to score in the first two drives, and then we're going to put in Sean Clifford's redshirt freshman brother to go play wide receiver." Was, <laughs> I think William, Cl- I think William Clifford's going to be a nice player. Neither or- like just the general point of like, we're going to start going down the depth chart here. I think Penn State looked like a team last week that was coming off of an emotional win, uh, a convincing win against Auburn. And I think this week before the bye is their last chance before uh, a stretch of at Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio State to make some sort of a statement, but more than anything, just not – you know, not leave a bit of a sour taste in anyone's mouths with that extra week off because you were farting around for, you know, a quarter and a half against a team that you should beat. So I don't think Penn State's going to cover, uh, I don't think Penn State's going to hit the over on their own. I do think they cover that 25 and a half. I think something in the ballpark of like 38 to 10 oh makes a lot of Please kill me. Makes sense here. <laughs> I, I, I apologize, but don't, don't worry, Ben you're 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 going to get a you're going to get your moment in the sun here in a moment uh, <laughs> but I generally think that Penn State is approached last week's game a little bit wrong a little too lackadaisical a little too happy to put take their foot off the gas a little too happy to go we're going to just play all these young guys see what happens I think they need to use this game as an opportunity to say we're not putting in the young guys until this game is totally out of hand and I hope they use it that way and with all that boring stuff out of the way, it is time for the part of this podcast that I am most looking forward to, uh, which is the final thing we're going to do before we leave. Which is just me writing down. Ben is allowed to slander <laughs> any and every pen st- uh, f- any and every football program he wants. I will say, no Northwestern. You have done yeah, plenty of that, uh, but any any football program uh, in the Big Ten in college football as a whole. Just like go go off a little
1: bit. I mean, so like it has to start with Iowa because they're so funny to me. Like as you are, you are, you are in friendly confines if you were going to make fun of the Iowa Hawkeyes. Yeah. I mean like as a team that has two Joker coordinators and you know, a head coach who wants to win every game 12 to eight. It's amazing that I can point at another program and be like, wow, you guys are just bleak. Like you guys are just a bunch of losers. (laughs) Like the fact that Kirk Ferentz has his just absolute ridiculously dumb son Running that offense just getting worse every year is awesome. Like, that's so funny. Like, that's it's that Spencer Petrus has regressed from where he was last year is like not possible. Like, we've reestablished what absolute zero is that Spencer Petrus is now even worse as a college football quarterback. That's great. Um, that Northwestern Iowa game this year, uh, should be played underground. Uh, it should be played <laughs> in a bunker outside Norad and just like kept away from the masses. Cause it's going to be just apocalyptic. It's so bad. Uh, real real quick before, before you uh,
0: keep going mm. uh, and you move on to the next program, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, currently this year, uh, Iowa 524 receiving yards as a team, Uh former, uh wait no uh four 4- five hundred and twenty four receiving yards forty eight receptions one receiving touchdown mm. former Iowa wide receiver Charlie Jones in Purdue's offense forty one receptions for five hundred and thirty three yards and seven touchdowns I cannot imagine just how liberating it oh must be to go from Iowa to Purdue as a wide receiver
1: it is insane so first of all I thought Charlie Jones sucked I thought that guy bad Same. and nope he's just he's extremely sick
0: it turns out it wasn't his fault yeah. it was not his fault at all
1: <laughs> he's just like really really fast he catches everything and he's a good returner it's like oh i guess that kid is good it's so fun that like you just lose that it's like you know northwestern has had stuff like that where like Ecu like goes to auburn as a good player and Brandon joseph goes to Notre Dame. bennett skorana now introduces himself on yeah. sunday night football as a notre dame graduate which kills my soul But that is so much easier to take than watching Charlie Jones just double up your entire team's production. That's so funny. Like, just absolutely brutal. Other teams that are worth mocking. uh, Oklahoma fumbling their Big 12 bag to go chase SEC money and become like the ninth best (laughs) program in their new conference. Very funny. Like, they're just, that program is no good anymore which is, like, I don't know why they looked at what they had and decided they didn't want it. Um, But that's very funny to me as well. And, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our soon-to-be brethren in the conference, uh, USC. I think that USC is going to get the Nebraska treatment. Like, they're going to come in and Mm -hmm. think, like, all right, we're the team that gets to play Ohio State in the conference championship every year. Uh, And I don't think it will happen, which will be great. I think, like, Lincoln Riley having to go to play in Kinnick at night when it's 20 degrees outside. Oh. Oh. The first game that he loses in Big Ten West fashion is going to be just such a true delight to watch. And he deserves it for joining the Big Ten while he's in Los Angeles, which uh, is a crime against God. So he will deserve everything that he gets for his team.
0: I a thing – I've, I've tweeted about this in the past, but a thing that – fascinates me about usc and ucla ucla another just joker oh football. god just not the fact the fact the fact that they get to call the rose bowl home is offense is offensive to yeah, me. but how often will those teams have to play uh the uh, the uh, blessed 11 a.m local time kick in evanston <laughs> and how often will like big 10 teams have to play the 10 p.m eastern time kick out there like yeah. I feel like I, I know I know the only thing that was thought through in all of this was get our money by like everybody involved but I'm just fascinated in what it looks like the first time that you know uh Indiana has a 10 pm kick. It, 10 p.m. local time kick in Los Angeles, or they are, their bodies think it's 6 a.m. And they're, and they're, they're, they're on the
1: field, right. And they're on the
0: field getting stretched out to play Maryland.
1: Yeah. Like very funny. To yeah. So like, I think it's like obvious, like the funniest version of them coming out East is, is like playing Iowa at 11 in the morning. Like that's like clearly yes. the funniest situation for Lincoln Riley to be in. the, I don't know what the funniest team to go out to Los Angeles is. Like, that's a good question. It's like, is it Maryland? I don't really think so. Cause like Maryland is vaguely coastal. So, like, it feels right that they'd be playing on the West Coast. Like, is it Purdue? It's probably like Wisconsin, right? Like, well,
0: what I was going to say, I think it might be one of the like Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin group, if only because. Those are like the insane fan bases that travel super well. And that will basically be a home game for them in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. So, so in that case, yeah, it's probably Wisconsin and also like Wisconsin, you know, when they figure out their coaching situation, well, I kick their ass. it will be great. Like, and when Wisconsin beats you, it's very physical and emasculating, which is also great. Like (laughs) that'll be really fun to watch those guys deal with that for the first time. Uh, Lord knows I've experienced it enough. So I want, I want to see them deal with it too. (laughs) All right, uh, final chance, speak
0: now on any other programs or forever hold your peace.
1: Oh Well, I guess the entire Northeast, I mean, other than, I guess, you guys should just be cut off, right? Like, I don't think they deserve to play football. Like, anyone who plays, like, the 13 original colonies, like, do they really – do they have <laughs> college football anymore? I think they've lost the right to it. UConn, UMass, Boston college. Syracuse,
0: Boston College, uh, UB. Yeah. Um, yeah, just don't deserve it, it
1: at it, all. Net bet net. Focus on basketball.
0: You guys are right. That that it's that area is good at there. basketball.
1: Yeah, Northwestern yeah. lost to New Hampshire right. once. That was fun. When Chip <laughs> Kelly was there in two thousand six. That's a little fun fact. Uh, was was uh, was Ryan Day on his staff? Uh, no, but Colin Kaepernick was the quarterback. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, nobody's going to get that. Yeah, joke. we're bringing it way we're back. back to
1: 2012 <laughs> Twitter bets, So We're getting real That's deep. right. It's 8 p.m. local. It's time to get crazy with it.
0: Well, now, speaking of which, uh, 8 p.m. local, I need to go walk my dog sometime soon. Ben, thank you very much for joining us. Tell the people where they can find your
1: stuff. You can find me at kicknerios, K-I-C-K-N-Y-R-G-I-O-S on Twitter. Uh, and I also have the aforementioned Substack Freak, uh, which is love40 um, at substack.com. So you can check me out there. Uh, And that's where I weep for about 1300 words every week about what horrible tragedies befall Northwestern.
0: Also, if you're a tennis fan, Ben is really good at writing about tennis, like actually very good at writing about tennis. So I highly recommend that. Thank you, uh, Ben, for coming on. And thank you to all of you for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. Head to the link tree in our Twitter bio and leave us a five-star review if it is a platform that allows you to do that. If you're in YouTube and you're in the comment section, make it the one nice place to talk to other people on YouTube. There is literally no other one. <laughs> this one should be pretty nice. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, make sure you're following us on our Twitter account at RLRBlog. Blog. Uh, and yeah, thank you to Home Field Apparel one last time for sponsoring this edition of the podcast. Uh, if you are a first time customer, promo code Roar Lions Roar one word all uppercase for fifteen percent off of your first order. One last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.